Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, Matthew 17, 22 through 27. Um, we've just, uh, the transfiguration has just happened, and now um, Jesus has just cast the demon out, and we talked about fasting and praying. And so now, immediately following... It says, now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And the third day he'll be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth take customs of taxes, from their own sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So um, we're only going to touch on the first two verses pretty quickly. We've seen Jesus telling his disciples before that this would happen, that he would die. Um, but it seems like the, the more he repeats it, the more they're coming to understand the truthfulness of this statement, that this is what's going to happen because they were sorrowful, they grieved. Um, and last time he said it, even Peter rebuked him and says, no, this, is never gonna, this isn't going to happen, Lord. But now they're filled with grief. They're, they're understanding and accepting what's going to happen. The reality of what's going to occur has set in. Um, And we'll see after the transfiguration from here on out, Jesus goes between really dropping tons of wisdom, like saying something, you need to know this, you need to know this, to going into a confrontation with the Pharisees, to dropping more wisdom, to confrontations with the Pharisees. And we see it beginning already because the temple tax collectors asked Peter if Jesus paid the temple tax. And so today we're going to talk about the temple tax uh, because there's confusion as to what that is. Some people um, have thought that it's tithe, but that's not what it is. And yes, I said the word tithe. So if you want to leave, you can leave now. I'll close my eyes and count to 10. Um, It is one of those things, though, that if you talk about money in the church, I don't know how many times I've talked to people or people have talked to me before I was a pastor. And they're like, I went to church and they're talking about money. So I left. And then I was like, so you don't follow God? No. Um, it, but it's, it just shows you, if, if we're willing to leave the church and we talk about money, then uh, that's, our, that's a God. It obviously has some sway in our hearts because Jesus actually talks about money quite a bit. Um, he talks about money more than fasting and prayer combined, if you can believe it. Okay, 11 out of 40 parables are concerning money. Okay, if you're not bad, if you're not good with math, that's more than 25% of the parables he uses are talking about money. So for the church to not talk about it means we're intentionally avoiding the subject. And there's two different ways that churches approach money. One, they don't ever talk about it, or they talk about it every single week um, in a little tiny sermonette. Um, which I'm not necessarily against that. We're starting next week. No, um, but, 
but they they pop these little verses out because um, I've been to churches that do it. These little verses out where I'm like, mm, that's not actually. You should read those two verses before that. Or hey, that was completely taken out of context. Um, so today we're going to take everything in context. It's going to be fun. I've got a lot of scripture reading we're going to do here. Okay, but let's talk about this temple tax okay so based on exodus uh, 30 13 through 15 and we're not going to read it because i got a ton of other reading okay um it's laid down that every male over the age of 20 had to pay an annual temple tax of one half shekel um and one shekel was equivalent um to one drachma and so this tax was called the didrachm so this verse reveals to us this is how we know that peter was the only disciple over 20 because Jesus paid it for him and Peter. Um, so this tax is about two days pay for the average citizen. And it wasn't raised or lowered based on your income. It wasn't a percentage. Uh, but it was also voluntary, but heavily frowned on for you not to pay. Uh, for God's people, for the Jews, if you're one of God's people and you're not supporting the temple, it was considered shameful. And Peter knows this. Well, that's, why he, that's why he defends it. They're like, does Jesus pay the temple tax? And he's like, of course he does, without even knowing whether he does or not. You know, how many times have you answered a question at work and someone's like, hey, did you do that? You're like, yes. Right? If I'm at home, Daisy calls, are the kids in bed? Yes. <laughs> of course they're in bed. Question, how far away are you? Are you... You're like, she's like, why do you want to know? Be like, because I miss you. I just want to know how long it's going to be. Eight minutes? Okay, of course, I'll see you in eight minutes. Everybody get in bed! Brush your teeth! You know, because she'll know. She'll come and kiss him goodnight, and she'll be like, they're stinky. They didn't brush their teeth. What's going on here? Something's amiss. And so Peter, I don't think he's necessarily lying. He's just like, you know, you answer the question like, yes, surely he does. Have I been with him when he did it? No. Have I seen it? No. But surely, surely he does. And when he returns, Jesus knows what's transpired. He asks him, who pays taxes, the king's children or everyone else? And the answer, of course, is from the people. They know all about this, the Jews. They've been conquered. They know when they're paying taxes to Rome. Um, they've been conquered. And so they pay the taxes. Like Caesar's kids aren't paying the taxes, right? right. They should, though. It would make them um, better people, I think, if they had to pay the tax. So... They had to give this tribute. And some people volunteer as tribute. Wow, a lot of people have seen that. Okay. Um, but Jesus is the son of God. He's the son of God. That's what his point. I'm the son of God. But he pays the tax. It might say in your Bibles, which is said in mine, uh, so not to offend, but the original word means to not be a stumbling block for others, to not cause someone else to stumble based on his actions. He's basically saying, let us not set a bad example for others. So he tells Peter to go fishing and take the first fish that comes up and in, in, in its mouth, there will be a coin. He'll find a shekel and he says, pay the tax for both of us. Um, your Bible may not say shekel, it might say stater, uh, but they're the same value. And interestingly enough, fish are still found to this day, not all of them, so don't think it's going to make you a lot of money. Um, you can still find fish in the Sea of Galilee with coins in their mouth. Um, but another thing that's interesting is the temple tax is a half shekel, but they didn't actually mint half shekels at that time. They only The, the lowest denomination was a shekel, a full shekel. So two people would always get together and come together for this shekel tax. They, they would come together and share it, which is exactly what Jesus and Peter do. What everyone else was doing was coming together and sharing 
this one uh, shekel tax. Um, so uh, before we get too far into this, talking about money, um, I just think this is a huge idol for people today, yeah. Christians too. It's a huge idol. It's something we don't want to talk about. It's something we don't want to hear about. Um, it's a huge bait of Satan that Satan uses to cause offense in us is talking about money. But I just went over how much Jesus talked about money. Okay, and I want you to know, okay, that there in the next two chapters, Jesus talks about money several times. He talks about money like three or four times, and I'm saving you one because I'm going to combine two. You're welcome. Okay, people be like, I, I was going to do tithe, the trilogy. How does it end? Um, but, um, and I also want everyone to know, okay, I don't know who tithes and who doesn't. I don't know how much people tithe, and I don't know how much you make anyway, so I wouldn't know if it was correct or not, okay? So, and, I'll, and I'm never going to know, and I'll tell you why I don't want to know. So, this is all to say if I make eye contact with you, I'm not talking about you, okay? I don't know how many times I've been talking about something and someone's like, you were looking at me. Uh, what was that about? Did my wife tell you about, and I'm like, I got to look somewhere. Got to look somewhere. Um, so, so I don't know, and I'll tell you why. I'm never going to know, because every pastor I know has told me a story of someone who gives a lot of money to the church, whether it's a tithe or a gift, and then wants to call all the shots or they pull it. And if someone wants to do that, they usually are not the best Christian and should not be calling the shots. And a lot of times, though, people get afraid of that. I don't, and, I, and seriously, I would rather die. If you don't know me, I'm not, I, I, I don't like conflict, but I would rather die. If things, things have to do with God, if someone's like, hey, I'll give you this money if you'll teach something wrong, I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> or I would rather kill you and you die. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it's serious. It's serious. And it shows how much money comes in and takes a hold of the church. Because people, people elder boards start getting like, hey, we need to, you know, we need to, we need to please this person because we might lose a lot of money, right? And I want to make decisions. I want our elder board to make decisions based on what God wants, not based on fear of who might leave if we teach the word of God, Amen. Right? right? And I can be bold like this when we have a small church, <laughs> but I will keep it. I will, I will stay bold because even if I was like, if, even if I came home and it's like, I'm thinking about, Daisy would be like, get away from me, Satan. I can't believe you. You disgust me. And I'd be like, I know, I know. I disgust myself. Um, this is a long enough sermon without me going off on the side. So I'm going to keep going. But so I don't know. Uh, and, um, and I did save you one. So, but one misconception that we have is based on this verse because we basically um, tithe theology in our, in I would say the New Testament church, but I don't know if we're really there, um, is based on three different verses that I've heard. And we're going to look at those verses and, and, and read the whole chapter, okay? So one misconception is this, based on this verse, like we're the children of God, okay? And this is tithe, so we're the children of God, so, so we, don't, we don't have to tithe, right? And if you're visiting, welcome, welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but this is not, but this isn't a tithe at all. It's a temple tax. And Jesus still does it to not set a bad example. So two other verses we have to establish our theology, our theology on tithe. 
And this is the one that comes a little bit later, Matthew 22. It says, Then the Pharisees went and conspired together, plotting how to trap him by what he said. They sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and that you teach the way of God truthfully, without concerning yourself about what anyone thinks or says of your teachings, for you are impartial and do not seek anyone's favor. They're like buttering him up already. You're so great. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it permissible, according to Jewish law, to pay a tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, asked, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, a day's wage. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Then pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were caught off guard, and they left him and went away. So in this text, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. They're, trying to, they're really trying to get him to say either, because either answer is wrong. You don't have to pay taxes to Rome, right? He says, no, you don't pay taxes to Rome. By which case, they could then report to the Romans and have this guy, Jesus, arrested by Roman authorities because he's teaching against them. Or if he says, yes, pay the taxes to Rome, then the, then the Jewish zealots are going to be inflamed by this. And so he's not the Messiah. He's not God telling us to pay taxes to this invading force, right? So Jesus answers in a very clever way and says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. Um, so we're going to look at like what belongs to a king or government and what belongs to God. So not only is this a sermon on tithe, but also on taxes. This is amazing, right? It's going to be up online tomorrow if you want to watch it again. Okay. Um, so for the first answer, what belongs to Caesar or to kings? First Samuel 8, 6 through 20. So this is when all the people want a king. You know, the priest, Samuel, is the one in, in charge. He goes to God. God tells him what to do. He tells the people, but the people say, we want a king like everybody else. We want to be like everyone else. And then this, this is what God says in First uh, Samuel 8, verse 11. These will be the ways of the kings who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself to be chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint them for them, himself to be commanders over thousands and over fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourself shall be his servants." Then you will cry out on that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on that day because you have rejected him as king. And the people refused to listen and said they wanted a king. And so God said, grant their request. So, but he told them ahead of time, if you want a king, this is what a king will want. And if you agree to that, if you understand that, then I will allow you to have a king. They're almost like making a deal with God. If you understand that, I will give you a king, but he will take these things. And they, they agree and say, okay. All right. So he tells them to have to pay taxes, and they agreed. And everyone gets all upset about Adam and Eve eating that apple, right? What if we could go back and keep these people from checking off taxes, right? All right, but um, 
So now that's their responsibility to king and government that they agreed to, okay? Which sounds a little bit worse than what we do, right? God bless America. Um, so now what's the responsibility to God? What belongs to God? And so we'll look at our third major tithe theology verse, which is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. And most of you probably know this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So I saw, you're not going to believe this, guys. I saw a Facebook argument. People were disagreeing on Facebook over tithe. Um, and it was actually people I knew, and um, I didn't get involved. I'm not a, I'm not a like, arguer online. I don't even like writing emails because I don't know how many times I send an email that's like a total joke, and then someone is like, well, if that's the way you feel. And I'm like, oh, uh, I put exclamation marks. I don't understand. I did the smiley face. All right, forget it. We're not friends anymore. You can't get a joke. Um, I'm just kidding. That, that has happened several times. So, um, um, and they were like, you know, everyone's like, what do you tithe? And they're like, whoever sows sparingly, just give what God has told you to give. But if we look through this chapter, um, if you read this letter, okay, because that's what we do. That's what we like to do as Christians. We like to say, what does God think about this? Google, find one verse, that's what God thinks about it. And then we don't actually read the context. And as you know, we're going to look at context always. So, Paul is writing the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8, 1. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we want to tell you about the grace of God, which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia, awakening in them a longing to contribute. For during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their lavish generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily begging us for the privilege of participating in the service for the support of the saints in Jerusalem. Not only did they give as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us as his representatives by the will of God and giving as much as they possibly could. So we urge Titus that as he began it, he should complete this gracious work among you as well. But just as you excel in everything and lead the way in faith and speech and knowledge, other things, I'm not saying that wasn't in there. I just paraphrased. I'm not saying this as a command to you, but to prove by pointing out the enthusiasm of others, the sincerity of your love as well. Skipping to verse 18. And we have sent along with him the brother who is praised in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in regard to this gracious offering, which we are administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness. We are taking precautions so that no one will find uh, anything with which to discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Now it is unnecessary for me to write to you about the offering that is made for the saints in Jerusalem, for I know your eagerness to promote this cause, and I have proudly boasted to the people of Macedonia about it, telling them that Acacia has been prepared since last year for this contribution, and your enthusiasm has inspired the majority of them to respond. Still, I am sending the brothers so that our pride in you may not be an empty boast to this case, and so that you may be prepared, just as I told them you would, 
Uh, Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, to say nothing of yourselves, will be humiliated for being so confident. That's why I thought it necessary to urge these brothers to go to you and make arrangements in advance for this generous previously promised gift of yours so that it would be ready, not as something extorted, but as a voluntary and generous gift. So what is happening in this verse, Paul is writing the Corinthians and saying, we are taking an offering up for another church in Jerusalem. The Macedonians have already given to God, given to their church, and have also given a generous gift to the church. And we're expecting the same of you, the Corinthians, to give above and beyond in this offering to this other church. So this isn't a tithe. This is a love offering for another church. Can I, did everyone hear that, or did you, like, did you lose attention after 20 verses I was reading? I just wanted you to see the, the extent of it. So it's funny how we can take one verse, and then we can see that if we take, read the whole book that Paul's writing this letter, saying, I'm not going to extort this money out of you. You've already given. The other church has already given to God, and they gave an offering, even in their poverty, to this other church. And we've been bragging about you, and you said you would give a gift to this other church, and I don't want to wring it out of you. So give what you can give. Give what is in your heart to give, but this is a love offering. It's a love offering. Okay, it's not tithe. But we can see by the writing, by Paul's writing, that they're tithing in the New Testament church and they're giving offerings to other churches. They are giving. You might say, well, isn't tithe considered the law? Didn't Jesus come to abolish the law? Well, let's talk about it. And this is actually interesting. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this, but tithe or first fruits being given unto the Lord, this concept is present before Moses is given the law. Before. It's a deeper magic from the beginning of time. It's not magic. Sorry, we were just reading Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe to our kids. So how do we know this? Okay, we see Cain and Abel give a first fruits offering unto the Lord in Genesis 4. And we see Abraham, back when he was still Abram, giving the tithe of 10% to Melchizedek, the priest of God, in Genesis 14. Isaac and Jacob tithed, and all of this is before Moses is given the law. So how did they know what to give? How did Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Cain and Abel know what to, know what to give before the law is written down? Well, it says Abraham was a friend of God. God wanted Abraham to live righteously, to do what is right. right? He, he, wasn't, he was telling Abraham what is right. He didn't want his life to be a mess, so he told him his laws. He told Adam and Eve. He's, he's in relationship with them. They know how to please him. And you may say, well, it doesn't say that. But look, Cain and Abel, uh, Cain's sacrifice is not good. It's not good. And then God talks to him, and then he murders his brother. Why would God be displeased with Cain for doing something God hadn't previously told him not to do? God is just. God is a just God. Okay, so... Would God punish Cain for doing something incorrectly and he wasn't told how to do it? How did Abel know what was the correct first fruits offering? God is just. They knew, okay? They knew before that, that it was this 10%, even before it's established in the law in Leviticus 27.30, Numbers 18.26, 
and Deuteronomy 14.22. And Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. We, we use this for things we don't want to do. Well, God got rid of the law. I murdered someone yesterday, and it was fine. God got rid of the law. I am currently in adultery with several people, right? And it's just funny. It's funny because there are things, especially in our society today, that we have to, if I'm going to talk about tithe, because I know people don't want to talk, talk about it. If I want to talk about something like a, like a flashpoint, like homosexuality, right, I have to be apologetic before I do it. Just say, hey, listen, I don't know who's doing it or not. Listen, love you guys the same. If I'm talking about homosexuality, I'm like, hey, I know somebody. I love them. I like, but how, but how often with other elements of the laws, I'm like, hey, listen, guys, like I have several friends who are adulterers right now. I love them. I don't judge them, right? I don't bring it up at all, you know, just loving on them. No, I don't come and apologize for it, which shows we have these things in our life that we hold on to that are, deal breakers for Christians, okay? And so we may think, oh, man, tithe is one of these lesser laws. Um, but let, let me read you, because we need to see what God thinks about it, okay? I'm going to read you a verse, Malachi 3. And most of the time, you probably have heard 10 through 12 in a sermonette. But my favorite parts are 8 through 9. And this is all, listen, like I said last week, my theology of this stuff is not because I'm a pastor at all. It's what I've, what I've always done, okay? And I'll get into that at the end. But let me read 10 through uh, 12. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Whoa, who's heard that in a sermonette prior? Hmm. Interesting. Not more people. But thank you. Thank you. All right. But let's read. Does anyone know? Has, has anyone heard a sermonette where they read eight and nine? This is fun. It's going to be fun. So before it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Man, this is so, so positive. This is positive. This is revving me up. Let's read eight. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Isn't that, it, it's strange to me. It's, it's not strange. I understand why. We cut out eight and nine, but that's part of the verse. Why would you even, I, I, I'm really not into like using, using a verse and not reading the entire thing, right? Um, so we, we've heard 10, but we haven't heard eight and nine, right? And we've heard that second part enough to know that this is the only thing God says to test him in. Test me. See if I don't bless you. It's the only thing he says, obey me in this. It, even God knows that this will be a hang up for us. Even God knows this will be a hang up for us. And, and still it is to this day, if there is an idol that we worship, is there, if there is a God that we love as much as our God or more than our God, it is money or the things money buys. It's true. It's true, 100%. And if you want me to sit up here and I can preach against things you don't like, I'm going to preach again. I'm going to preach about things that's, that are right, not about what we have agreed as a church to, to think is right and wrong. Okay, we're going to preach what's in the Bible. 
So God says, do this and I will bless you. Well, when does God bless his people? Is God one of those leaders that's just like, if you go above and beyond, I'm going to bless you. You don't get blessed for just doing the standard. You only get blessed for doing above and beyond. Throughout the history of Israel, what we see is when they do not obey, he's like, he gives them things like eight. (laughs) Or he says, I'll bless you for what? For obedience. For obedience. He blesses us for obedience, for doing what he said. Throughout Old and New Testament, we see it. The blessing comes not from doing above and beyond, but being obedient. And actually, that's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for us. Just think if you had to do extra credit work for God to bless you. I'd be out. I'd be like, I can do one extra credit assignment and go from a D to an A. I'll pass. I'm happy with that D. I'm good. Not doing any more schoolwork. But even in the New Testament, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He even tells them not to neglect the first thing he said, which was tithe. So I can't, I can't teach you something that's not there. I I just can't. I'm never going to take a verse out of context and make it say what I want it to say or what I wish it said. Um, I want you to know what the Word of God says, however however much we may like it or not like it. And if we don't like it, if there's something in the Word of God that we do not like hearing, perhaps it has a hold on our heart. I think everyone here in a relationship has a conversation that's off limits because it will start a fight. Why'd you smile? (laughs) We don't do that. We're perfect. We set examples. Anyways, if we get in fights, she starts them 100% of the time. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, But I don't even know what I was talking about anymore. Um, And this isn't meant to make people feel bad. I I will never know. It's not about me. I want to please God. I want the blessing of God. It's in his word. God's told us what we're to do. And when we're obedient, we're blessed. I want the blessing of God upon my life. I want the blessing of God upon this church. I want the blessing of God upon you. Um, And he's told us what to do. And we have to teach it to our children to raise them up in the way they're to go. But I do know that obedience comes with blessing. My family, growing up, um, after my parents divorced and we lived in North Carolina and things were rough, we survived on the blessings of God. We survived on God and what he provided. My, my theology on tithing was built long before I read these verses. I thought that it was stupid. We didn't have any money. I remember in soccer, um, I got these new cleats and um, uh, this stupid dog, my friend's stupid dog, I love dogs, just the dog was stupid, um, bit the heel out of my shoe. And we couldn't afford to get any more. So the whole soccer season, I'm like 17, I'm old enough to know, uh, I'm playing with the heel out. So anytime I kicked it, the, my shoe would just go flying. But we didn't have money for, for other shoes. 
right? I mean, they gave us these soccer shorts, and they were this long. And I would, like, sag them down, and, like, <laughs> because I was just, like, you know, back then, you were, you were um, shorts down to your knees, you know? We weren't, like, thighs guys like everyone is now, where everyone's, like, have you seen my thighs? I've been working them out. And they're, like, man, I've never seen so much hair in my life. You need to wear pants. Um, everybody used to tell you, if a guy comes in wearing their shorts, I'm, like, well, those are fancy, fancy. Um, I'm, I'm old, I guess. But, but still, ha- not having things like that, and I would not have asked my mom to get me another pair of shorts. That was my one pair of soccer shorts that they, the team gave us. But I would see her tithe check on the table sometimes. She never told us you're tithing, but I would see. And sometimes I'd be like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Well, not we. What is she doing? <laughs> what is she doing? But God continually provided Continually, and so my theology, before even saying any of these verses, before reading and establishing, what does God say? I knew if I tithe, God's going to bless me. If I tithe when I don't have, God will take care of me. And I knew it before I read it. I saw it. I saw it day in and day out. I saw it through the faithfulness of my mom. And these are the seeds we're talking about planting. You probably, you didn't even know. I never tell you before today. But that tithe, seeing you do that when we were so broke, established my, my understanding of God's faithfulness and, my, and God's provision when I wasn't reading the Bible. I knew God was real and that he loved us and that he cared and that he would provide and that he was faithful because of that that you were doing. And you probably thought, do I need to do this? You might have had some conversations on money. Do I really need to do this? Do I really do this right now? Is the church going to care? Is this making up a difference? It makes a big difference to me. It's going to make a bigger difference to my family so we don't have to eat salsa spaghetti. Don't try it. It's gross. It's so nasty. It's so nasty. She wasn't there one time. She's like, just throw them together. It's like spaghetti sauce. It's not. It's disgusting. But through that faithfulness, through that faithfulness, maybe wondering, why am I doing this? Maybe wondering, like, do I need to do this? Showed me so much about God and his love and established what God, isn't that so cool how you see God in, in, in your life? If you've ever seen God in your life and then you read his word, you're like, he's just as true as his word. He's just as true as his word. He is everything he says he is. Even before I read this, I saw that. That is true. That is true. I know it because I saw it before I read it. And that is what I desire. That is what I desire. My mother's tithing became a blessing, not just for our family. And I can sit here and tell you all the stories of things that happened through the church and through God to to keep us surviving but her, your, your tithe and your faithfulness became a blessing to me. Became a blessing to me. My mother's obedience showed me God's faithfulness. And my mother's obedience of tithing when she didn't have it showed me the miraculous. That's when I saw the miracles. Saw the miracles of like, we don't have money for this. We need this. How on, in the world are we going to get it? God provided God is faithful. God is faithful. And I want that blessing 
for every single one of you. This is not about our church. If, there, if, there's, if there's some Christian organization that you believe in, by all means, like, whatever. It's about blessing for the people of God. And it's about obedience unto God. Because obedience is an act of worship. And when we obey God, we are blessed. And I teach this because it's there, and I teach it because God says, test me in it. Test me. Test me. So who do we believe? Who do we believe? I think time and time again as Christians, we believe God less. God says, do this, and I'll bless you. And we say, I'm not sure I like the blessing you're going to give me. Will he bless me? We don't believe God. Do we believe God? Do we believe he does what he says he will do? I'm telling you right now, if you are obedient, God will bless you. He's faithful. And so we're going to take up a tithe right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much um, for your word. I thank you for your blessing, Lord. I just thank you for teaching me your ways. I just, thank, I just thank you that you are always teaching us, Lord, even when we're not in the word, Lord, when, when we come to know you, when we're talking to you, when we see you work in our lives, then we read in your word, we see, we see a connection like, yes, he is still the same God that he was then. He's still doing those things. He is faithful. He does keep his promises. And you do keep your promises, Lord. I just pray that you would help us to be, help me to be an obedient person. Help us to love your law. Lord, to love your law, to seek to please you in all that we do. We just thank you and we praise you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.